Claire Aghasipour is a true multiculturalist. She's a Iraqi Jew born and brought up in Iran, studied international relationships in US, married to an Englishman and currently living with her daughter and husband in the Netherlands. When I was curious about the current women's revolution happening in Iran, I invited Claire and this discussion was super enlightening. Welcome to the podcast. Please uh, share with us uh, what's happening in Iran right now. So, Dani, I have to share with you first that I'm also not an expert on Iran because mm-hmm. I, I actually haven't been there for this whole period, which is 43 years. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of what's happening there obviously reconnects me to the country and to everything that's happening mm-hmm. at the moment. So, as you know... Iran has been uh, ruled by the Islamic Republic for mm-hmm. the last 43 years, since 79. And it's had its ups and downs. People have had uh, protests over the years. In 2009, there, was a, there were big protests, and, and, and again, and again, a few years ago. And this time the protests have really caught on. Mm -hmm. And they started off uh, with the women. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was on September the 17th when Mahsa Amini, a Kurdish-Iranian woman, came with her brother from their town into the capital, Tehran. Mm -hmm. And she was stopped by the morality police Mm -hmm. and told to cover up her hair Mm -hmm. and she said it was covered up and she kind of uh, seemed to just argue with them and they just put her in the car and took her away and which is one of the things that was quite common that they would take you to the station to tell you you know to, to tell you how to behave but somehow or other they managed to smash her head against a wall mm-hmm. and took her to the hospital and she was dead upon arrival. Mm. And that news just went around the country uh, uh, immediately. And all women, especially young women, just began to protest out of everywhere. And it was just completely countrywide. And although it started with the young women, women of all ages and all situations joined in mm-hmm. and there was no holding the genie back into the bottle once that started and what is the main ask from this revolution what is i want to really get into a bit of details also that what is morality police what's the also uh, need of hijab why is like showing hair kind of a crime and I just want to know. Right. And hence, with all these, taking all these things in, uh, into mind, what's the main ask of the revolution? Is it something against Islamic religion? Is it something about women? Is it something about uh, choice? Yeah. Good, good question. So uh, in what we're... Well, how this started was a women's protest movement, mm-hmm. but it's turned into a revolution. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I, j- just to 
answer the revolution part of your question, and then I'll go back on to the women. Mm. Um, the revolution is, is basically not only a women's issue anymore. Mm -hmm. Iran is, as most countries in the region, a dictatorship with a sort of uh, democracy. In other words, they do have elections, mm -hmm. um, but they are not really uh, free elections. Mm -hmm. Uh, so it's a dictatorship, and it's, um, again, as, as a lot in the region, there's a lot of corruption. Okay. So not specifically new to this government, but there has been corruption, there's been mismanagement, pretty much with this government, there's been a lot of mismanagement economically, and uh, the country has kind of seen itself going backwards in the years that they've been in power. So um, before we go back onto the women, the reason why after the women's protests, why a lot of uh, why the men have joined mm. is is because there is a lot of uh, there's a lot of discontent, both from an economic point of view and from uh, from an injustice point of view generally mm -hmm. in the society. So take you back to the to to the women, which is uh, which is a which is a very special situation that you mm. don't we I, I don't know that a revolution anywhere in the world has actually ever started because of women and mm. through women's power, mm. and I think that's what also yeah. grabbed the imagination of the world. Mm -hmm. um, what were women asking? Is your question? What is the main ask? So. If you look back at uh, the history of women mm -hmm. in Iran, we will see that in the la in a century ago, almost exactly a hundred years ago, if you look at it, women were uh, dressed in Islamic gear. The they were covered, they were veiled, and it was very much part of the culture. Mm -hmm. In 1925. Mm -hmm. We had uh, Reza Pahlavi, who mm. came in, he, he declared himself a king, he was part of the, he came in from the military and, and uh, had a coup and declared himself a king. And this, this was sort of roughly around the same time as Ataturk was, uh, in Turkey was westernizing the country. Mm -hmm. And pretty much uh, uh, looking at that, Reza Pahlavi decided that he is also going to bring his country into yeah, the 20th century um, and modernize it. Mm -hmm. And one major part of his modernization was that he wanted to bring women into the social sphere mm -hmm. by education mm -hmm. and by taking them out of the veil. Okay. So he was the first person back in 1928. So this is yeah, pretty, uh, for that region, you know, quite early on, where he decreed that women were no longer, uh, well, no, in 1928, he, he, he started saying, talking about the uh, taking the veil off. No hijab. And, no hijab, exactly. Mm -hmm. And in 1935, he banned the hijab. 
He banned it. He banned it. And he enforced it. Mm. He enforced it. He got the police to actually pull the hijab off women <laughs> if, mm. you know, in public. Mm. And you can imagine what a huge mm. uh, shock, shock yeah. discomfort for most of the women. Mm. There was, of course, an elite that was either, uh, you know, had, had been abroad, had studied abroad, who was kind of more educated, whatever, who were looking for that mm-hmm. and, and embraced it. But the majority was pretty shocked. And in fact, there were uh, stories of women who didn't go out of their house anymore, mm. you know, for fear of being attacked. And, and it wasn't just a, partly for religious purposes, but also um, a veil covers everything behind it. So if mm. you were poor, you could just put that on and go out and mm. it didn't matter what you were wearing. No judgment. But now, yeah, exactly. So because he enforced it, Mm. in this particular way, he actually created a situation where this hijab stopped becoming only a a religious matter. Mm. It also became a political matter. Mm -hmm. It was like, this is the identity of the the country now, but I want to change the identity of the country Mm -hmm. and make it a Western country. Mm -hmm. I want to westernize this against the identity of people. Okay, so... That was in his reign. And then in 41, he was forced to abdicate uh, by the Europeans who, because he was kind of, well, he he was siding with the Germans and he wasn't giving the Allies enough uh, uh, access. So they came in and attacked and said, okay, you can abdicate mm. um, and we'll put your son in, in your place. Mm. So his son, Muhammad Reza Shah, came on in 41. And during his reign, two things happened. Uh, one is they, the, the country fought to get uh, rights of the oil uh, back from the British. Because the right. British were pretty much uh, using, you know, the kind of taking on a lot of uh, the, the benefits of the oil industry. Mm-hmm. So once that came back, a lot of money started coming into the country mm-hmm. and there was that much more room for a very fast forward mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. modernization. Mm-hmm. And by modernization, read westernization. Mm-hmm. So I'm just waiting for the ambulance. Yeah. So um, uh, because of the speed of westernization in the country. So money flowing in. There was money flowing in and there was a lot of uh, people were studying abroad. There was a lot more women studying. Uh, uh, women were no longer forced to wear the hijab. Mm-hmm. They were given freedom to do what they wanted, uh, dress as they wanted. But more and more, particularly in the cities, the whole concept of hijab and, um, you know, the fewer and fewer women mm. were wearing it. However, what was happening is you would see people, the, the poorer people mm. w- would be wearing it still. Mm. The less educated would be wearing it still. Mm. And it became also, again, a social uh, stat- status okay. uh, issue. Mm. You know, are you modern? Are you not modern? Are you educated, not educated? Mm. In the workplace, it became a sort of a... Uh, it, be- it became 
you know, if you the if you went thing exactly, yeah. so it kind of stopped you from from advancement in the workplace if you came in with a hijab. You know, it was okay. so the so especially in the cities, everything had swayed towards no hijab mm -hmm. and a more westernized uh, life. So that's where where the country was at. And when uh, you were born and brought up in Iran, you did not have to wear hijab. No, no, exactly. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and and I I think um, it, I grew up in a bit of a bubble, mm -hmm. which wasn't the, the kind of the the I suppose you could say not the 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 real Iran in that mm -hmm. my parents are not Iranian. Mm -hmm. They're Iraqi, mm -hmm. who had come to Iran to work, mm -hmm. and they're Jewish. Okay. And I went to an, to an international school. Right. Yeah. So you know, as a child, mm -hmm. your connection with life is mostly through your family and through your school. Mm. And so, uh, yeah. So I ha I kind of had a very multicultural. Multicultural. Uh, so your your parents, um, ethnicity-wise, you're Iraqi, Jewish, Iraqi, yeah. but born and brought up in Iran. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That gives you another yeah the, the whole um, yeah multicultural. Although these countries are, I believe, quite similar in culture. No. Uh, yes and no. Yeah. Um, Arab countries are. Uh, Semitic countries, so their language is different, mm -hmm. and Iran has a different language, which mm. is a actually it's a Hindo-European language. Okay, and their the history is different. Mm. So Iranians are very uh, are a nation who are very proud of their history because Cyrus the Great, two thousand five hundred years ago, <laughs> you know, was the was the great. Uh, leader who had yeah. a lot of la uh, countries and also very democratic and they're very proud of their Persian, his culture. Persian history yeah. and Persian yeah. culture. Also very, um, yeah, Iranians will sit down and immediately start doing poetry. They're, they're kind of, yes. their poetry is very much that, just like you, you would fit in there quite my, nicely. Yeah, and my favorite poet is Rumi, who is a Persian poet in the 13th century, there my favorite. Ah, there you go. So you, yeah, I was thinking you'd fit in there right perfectly. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you were telling me that uh, when you were growing up in Iran, there was no hijab. It was very liberal. Um, there was also more economic liberty that that the whole um, country was seeing for the first time and women were being educated, but there were challenges that um, the strata, because of the Islamic history, there was a difference in the social people who were less educated or poor, they were still wearing hijab. Yeah. Um, I'll just, maybe it's a very silly question. What's in, in, in the, in the context of, uh, the religion, what is the, why is hijab needed or why hair is such a thing you know you tell me but hair is a thing in all religions okay in all main religions yes the, the three main religions yeah. so 
uh, yeah, Muslim women are asked to cover the hair and their body to, to dress modestly. Uh, Jewish women um, in, in Judaism, the same thing till today mm -hmm. as well, although um, religious Jews um, get around that by putting wigs on, which is quite mm. an interesting <laughs> way to, uh, yeah. Um, and and as you know, I mean, Christians like nuns mm. wear the same sort of thing yeah, as a hijab, why? right? Why? Like, why do we need to cover up the hair? Uh, right. I don't know. You tell me. It's supposed <laughs> to be... Um, it, it, in all these religions, they, there seems to be a, a sense of the hair is the thing that really uh, drives a man mad. Okay. And it's kind of a, a sexual, it, it, it's all sexual. Obviously, it's how you dress modestly is, is to avoid sexuality or sexual attraction. Mm -hmm. um, and the hair is, is likewise one of those things that is a matter of sexual stopping sexual attraction. Oh, wow. That's, uh, <laughs> I have no words. Um, the morality police, uh, coming back to, or maybe I'll cover morality police with the history of Iran. So, right. um, so this was a phase when you were growing up. Then what happened uh, later on? What revolution happened that Islamic Republic was back in Iran? Right. So again, um, we're talking about a dictatorship and, mm. and dictatorships rise and then they get to a point where people feel for whatever reasons that at this point we can't take it anymore. Our dignity has been, mm. uh, has been attacked and we don't want this. Now it could be, where do you get to the point where your dignity is, has been been attacked so much that you find your life mm. less important than your dignity. Mm. Um, it, it's also very relative to what you what you expect. You know, we're, reaching that point in France is far. Mm. You know, people can can get up in arms far quicker than people would get up in arms in in, in Iran or in India Asian, or whatever. You know, yeah. it's like it's your expectations also. Mm drive what causes you to decide, okay, this is it, basta, yeah. enough. Yeah. And although in Iran there was, um, at the time of the Shah, there was economic progress, uh, there was education, he'd spread education all around the country. Mm -hmm. um, it, it, there, there, there was a lot of mm -hmm. uh, well-being and mm -hmm. development. So, well, two things, a number of things were happening. One is uh, westernization was going very fast, as we spoke about. Mm -hmm. So people were feeling, hey, where am I in all this? Where's mm -hmm. my culture in all this? Where's my identity in all mm -hmm. this? Uh, the second thing is that again, the disparity between mm. rich and poor was growing, although there, uh, a big middle class form that wasn't there before. Mm. But nonetheless, some people shot up to very rich very quickly and others, again, were left behind. Um, so y you had those elements uh, okay. there, but you had got to a place where people were comfortable with what they had, mm. and now they they began to look at the 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 heavy hand with which most 
dictators rule. So there's no freedom of speech, there is corruption, mm. there is injustice, and mm. that's just almost part and parcel of, mm. of dictatorships. Mm -hmm. um, and so you got a lot of noises from especially the young people mm. demanding more freedom of speech, demanding, you know, the bringing out things. There was a secret police that, that was very heavy-handed and... Did you, you have any personal experience with these corruptions or um, the lack of freedom of speech? Uh, well, interestingly, for example, uh, well, I remember to uh, freedom of speech. So a couple of things. One was uh, we had a uh, at school, one mm. of our teachers uh, was sick. Mm. So they brought in uh, a, a temporary teacher, a man. Mm. And he was, he was talking about questioning. Mm. He said, you must question what they're telling you. You must question this history. Mm. Question whether, you know, they're mm. telling you that things are right. Look for yourself. Mm. And for a change, you know, we were then 17 years old, 16 yeah. years old. And we were like, ah, you know, the sound of somebody, the voice of somebody who's saying, don't accept everything, you know, you're in that age. Yeah. And we we're really excited about having a teacher who was actually telling us to think for ourselves, you know. Okay. Um, and I remember going off sick, and a week later I came back, and he was no longer. So oh. the minute they kind of heard that students were being encouraged to speak for themselves, it, it was it, that was a dangerous situation. So he, he was he was unceremoniously put off the job. And I remember being at my uncle's house and we were uh, there for lunch and there was a guest, an Iranian mm. guy. And I was talking about this. Mm. I was talking about this and I was talking about what he was saying about injustice mm. and so on. And my uncle got up and said, can I talk to you? And he said, don't you dare speak about these things. Don't you know the walls have ears? let alone that you have a guest who, you know, is not part of the family who might, you know, go and spread the word. That's the level of, that's the kind of fear that you live under when you're living in that kind of a dictatorship. So, for my understanding, growing up, you were always, you were in this, again, a bubble where it was not even conceivable to, conceivable to even uh, imagine to ask or question the authority or say anything, uh, challenge the social norms. Yes, exactly. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And that's pretty much how it is in most, um, in most cultures where hierarchy is pretty much the norm. Mm. Mm. Um, you know, children obey their parents uh, and their teachers and people listen to their managers and Which the managers is not listen. bad as per se if you have good leadership and if uh you know the teacher that you are talking about i would like to hear such teacher who's encouraging me to question but if uh somebody is encouraging me to you know um uh, accept domestic violence yeah that's something that is uh you know yeah causes corruption that's right, right. Yeah. you know, and that's it's it it's a system that basically doesn't um, 
Yeah. The person who's in charge is supposed to know and is supposed to tell and you're supposed to listen now. It's from, mm. you know, all the way from the king downwards. Mm. Um, as you say, it depends if you're a totally incorrigible, benevolent leader, yeah. then maybe that's a good thing yeah. uh, or an effective thing. But I don't know of too many of those. Oh, well. Yeah, oh well, yeah. <laughs> That's why we are having this conversation. Um, so, what made you leave Iran and what happened after that? So, um, I left to go study abroad mm -hmm. in sort of late 77. Mm -hmm. And at that point, like this teacher and, and others, you, you heard more and more voices of discontent calling for freedom of speech, mm -hmm. um, general, yeah, political freedom, freedom mm -hmm. of speech. And, um, but it, but they were noises, mm -hmm. you know, it was noises. In, and one didn't expect mm -hmm. huge changes. And I went abroad in, in 1978. I remember my brother coming to visit me and he brought us this pamphlet Mm. which was being placed on all cars, you know, mm. car window windshields, mm. which was really a call to 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 instigate protest. And, mm -hmm. and I was like shocked. Wow, my God, you know, that this is this is actually happening. And and the discontent started and the protest started and they started rolling and rolling. But what had, what was happening at the time was Again, it all started from a point of view of uh, we're not happy, mm. right? But and this is both men and women protesting during these 1978, 79 yeah, revolution. Uh, yeah, and mostly it starts with the young people from yeah. universities, and then it kind of rolls up. Um, what were they asking for then was i think more just just more freedom freedom mm -hmm. of speech and and, mm -hmm. and less corruption less 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 more justice you know that kind of and, thing and um removal of dictatorship to more democracy or something like that what was the political regime change demand? yeah well again it's a bit like like what's happening there today mm -hmm. mostly it was a voice against mm -hmm. and as opposed to you know what's so the... much what's going to come and there was oh, during this whole turmoil two voices um came up one was the communists mm. and one was the clergy mm -hmm. now it, during the shah's regime the clergy was pretty much put down mm -hmm. and ayatollah khomeini who was the one who came in after the revolution was actually uh sent out of the country, he lived in Iraq, he was deported. Okay. Um, because all this westernization didn't really mm. sit uh, comfortably with the clergy. So they were always, uh, they were always kept under control. What is clergy? The religious people. Okay. okay. Right. So they were always kept under control during the reign of the Shah. Um, so the so Islamic voices came up mm. and communist voices came up and there mm. was this period of turmoil where you did not have leadership or you didn't know 
what was going to happen. Mm. Uh, all they were aiming for is the king has to go. Yeah. And then once the king went, um, the, the, yeah, so Ayatollah Khomeini and the clergy, uh, their voices grew. Mm -hmm. And the reason that their voices did grow, mm -hmm. that the people did follow them, was because of this identity element, mm. was because they kind of felt, okay, you know, w we have been forced to give mm. up our identity mm. uh, for this Western identity. Mm. And it's always a, I always felt it was a, it was a sort of schizophrenic thing. On mm. the one hand, they would say, oh, we hate the Americans. On the other hand, mm everything American was being copied or looked mm. up to. But it was also a sense of, okay, I am not, we as a, uh, as a culture, as a country are not mm -hmm. doing as well, and we're never going to mm. be as good as, uh, but we have this pride. Mm. Um, so on the one hand, you look up to people who are doing it better than you. On the other hand, it's also a, a hit on your own dignity. Yeah. You know, so yeah, it's kind of ego a, play. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, so I think because of that, mm. uh, Islam became the identity again. Mm. And that's what they wanted to promote. And in the 1979 revolution, yeah, Islam came back. Islam came back. But uh, very much more as a sense of, uh, you know, hey, hang on a minute, this is who we are. We yeah. want our own identity. We don't want to be westernized like mm -hmm. that. And, and then if we go back to the fact that back in, in the 30s where the, the hijab was made, uh, where wearing the hijab was made uh, illegal, mm. now they were like, no, in your face, I'm going to wear a hijab just to show you that we don't want to be somebody else. We want to be us. Yeah. And so even women who weren't wearing the hijab before turned out in huge numbers with hijab. with the hijab, with this big black chador, it's called. It's, you know, it's black cloth that, chador. that's worn over your headdress. Mm-hmm. So, so the woman in 1978-79 revolution actually supported um, like getting uh, into Republic Islam and wearing hijab. Yeah. Yeah. And, and obviously not all women. Mm -hmm. I mean, like in any revolution, a lot of people who are already uh, sold on... The current regime uh, talk with their feet, mm. you know. Like you asked me if I had any people in Iran, mm. and n no, I, I from the revolution onwards, nobody. I mean, I knew no. I, I have no classmate left, no family left, no friends left. So your family also. Everybody. Okay. Be because this was a revolution against the West. Mm. It was a revolution against, uh, yeah. The two the two things were against anti-West, anti-America, anti the rich. Mm. Um, so anybody who was in any way associated with any of, any of those values mm. um, left. picked up and left. Okay. And of course, 
as I say, all of our circle of people were mm. uh, somehow associated with one of those, one or more of those mm. elements. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, so, you know, overnight, uh, everybody just packed their bags and not necessarily intending to leave forever, but at least intending to stay away at a safe distance mm. and wait to see where this would lead and then go back to their houses. Mm. Um, but yeah, it turned out that it was pretty, mm. uh, pretty harsh. And those who had stayed, there was a lot of uh, uh, hangings and killings. And, you know, it was making mm. uh, anybody who was rich and not Islamic, for example, mm. Um, yeah, that was kind of made a, a show of. And so many people died, oh, wow. uh, as in any revolution. Yeah. And then in 1979, formally, officially again, Iran became the Islamic, an Islamic country. It became an Islamic, yeah, the Islamic yes. Republic. Ayatollah Khomeini came in and millions of people, um, men and women, came out into the sea of black. Uh, there were thousands, you know, tens of thousands of people, you know, mm. streets were completely, all you saw was a sea of black, women wearing the chadors, men in black, mm. and all chanting his name and bringing like him in. Like any support. And, yeah, you know, in bringing <laughs> the hero in. Okay, wow, wow. Yeah. And um, when did the ban um, like hijab mandate came back. Right. So, 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 um, so, you know, this is, this was one of the things that the women who supported, uh, mm. the Islamic Republic and uh, generally the people, um, first of all, they were, they were promised, uh, the poor would get a lot of money, immediate money, you know, like in, in numbers, none of mm. that happened. Um, you know, it was all or promises, was, uh, lots of promises to bring people on board. N mm. None of that happened. And the women who were who were kind of taking part actually felt that they would now get more freedom. They would now get more respect uh, mm. in in the time of the Shah and his father. Many of the, the laws had changed in favor of women. Mm. So. In Islam, girls can be married off at the age of nine. Mm -hmm. If there's a, men can divorce just mm -hmm. by saying I divorce you, mm -hmm. you're divorced. Um, and if you have children in a divorce, the children automatically go to the father. Mm -hmm. Women cannot ask for a divorce. Mm -hmm. um, and all of that was overturned in the period of the Shah, so... Okay, it was making women more safer because these rules clearly make women feel unsafe. Uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, powerless. Mm, really. Powerless, yeah. yeah. Um, so in the period of the Shah, women were able to ask for divorce. Children would be able to stay with their mother uh, mm. in a divorce. Women no longer needed their husband's permission to go to work mm -hmm. and the age of marriage was raised to 18. Mm. Um, yeah, 
so all of those the, that was kind of like family laws were placed right and all of those were immediately overturned wow so again we went back to marriage at age of nine which was then eventually after a few years raised to 13 um, hijab became compulsory women didn't lose their political rights and they, they were still able to fall. study Mm-hmm. But they were demoted from certain jobs. Mm-hmm. They weren't allowed to do certain jobs. For example, women were no longer able to be judges. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, female judges were unceremoniously demoted to uh, scribes, uh, wow. you know, in courts and uh, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. Um, and this started happening in 1980s. 1979. Uh, oh, so, so it yeah. became effective almost immediately. Okay. Almost okay. immediately. Okay. And um, it was supported since then, uh, because anyway, said so there was a need of this revolution. This was still welcomed because Iran was still finding its identity. No, it wasn't. It wasn't. There was lots of protests by mm. women mm. at the beginning. It's since then. Okay. But that was put down quite violently, and mm. women gradually learned to uh, live with their new reality. Yeah, it took 40 years, more than 40 years. Yeah. 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 And in that while, let's go to what's happening. In that while, there, there are these concepts. So at least my generation who were born and brought up uh, were born during this phase. And uh, I heard, at least um, in the internet, I saw uh, the TikTok generation revolted a lot. And uh, I have seen this videos where there is a concept called as the morality police. And they would just, these are these huge uh, vans, and uh, they would um, apparently if somebody did not wear hijab or if hair was visible, they would go and say that, hey, you're not wearing it properly. And they would they can pick you in the van and take you to the headquarters of the morality police. What is morality police? <laughs> so, uh, so one of the things the, uh, the Islamic Revolution leaders took away from what had happened to the Shah Mm. was that the the Shah had depended very um, strongly on its army. Mm. And when when he lost the support of the army, he lost Mm. his throne. So they decided, you know what, we'll have the army, Mm. but we're also going to have another group of people Mm -hmm. uh, who are going to be our, um, uh, yeah, our police force, if you like, mm-hmm. who are going to support us, and we will support them. So these were people who became the morality police, and that whole, um, yeah, a whole body of people. What who, is it called in in Persian language? Because I think morality police is a. English. Yeah, it's it's a, a, a basage. Okay. Right. So. At the beginning, it was it was awful. I mean, there were cases of them going up to women who hadn't covered their faces and putting pouring acid on their faces, for example. And my friend, mm. um, she got married, mm. 
and she was at she went to the hairdresser mm-hmm. and her husband to be that day came to pick her up from the mm. hairdresser and she had this kind of you know bangs mm. pony and she came out to the hairdresser and she kind of slightly covered her hair because it was all fixed up for the mm-hmm. for the wedding and then she got into the car and uncovered her hair mm. and they were stopped by and she's all dressed to go get married mm. and they were stopped by this morality police mm. um oh you're sitting in a car next to a man who's not your husband yet your mm. your hair is covered and we can see you so you mm. know you're coming with us to the to the uh to the station mm. you know and there they were and people are waiting for them to be married and there they are at the station and one is giving them a hard time the other one wants to let them go but you know it's like the one is taking his job very seriously and he wants to arrest them and he wants to and you know you're all dressed up you're all made up and you're sitting there in a police station crying your eyes out Mm. eventually they did let them go and they did get married but can you imagine your wedding day starting on a on that kind of note for no good reason yeah yeah. yeah. So that's it's, kind of so that's where it was. Yeah. And I want to dig deeper into these I I I wouldn't say just men, I think uh, I would say majority men, but morality police I think it's mostly men, maybe women yeah. also work. Uh, yeah, maybe I think yeah, you're probably right, yeah. especially at the beginning probably. Yeah. Um what do you feel? What do you think? What's what goes on in their psyche that they feel so strong that they can hit another human being for something what we feel, at least in this part of the world, we feel it's pretty simple to have your hair. And you have beautiful hair, by the way. So do you. So, <laughs> yeah. And it's something very simple, right? Uh, to just like... Um, we can to see we have the eyes it's it's part of the face what do you feel goes on in the psyche of these people who are they call so-called morality police which makes them even be so violent publicly not just in their house publicly yeah um the violence i suppose comes from the sense of power Mm. Um, I have power, I will wield it. Mm. Um, And also a sense of, okay, we need to clamp down on this Western idea that, you know, women can walk around Mm. showing. But, uh, yeah, that, that is... I think these are two elements where it comes from. Mm. There's the power and there's also uh, the people who are claiming it are either making a political statement because, Mm -hmm. as we're saying, how women look has become a political thing as well Mm. as a religious thing. What's going through the psyche of these men who feel that? um, I don't know. I don't know. It's so difficult to understand because at the end... I don't think so there will be ever a solution if we keep on hating and if we keep on, you know, having this um, bloodshed every century, every 40, 50 years. 
whatever is happening, this bloodshed, just not in Iran, all over the world. But I'm just trying to understand what makes these people, um, you know, harm others for such simple things. I It's just beyond my... Uh, understanding and I'm just trying to understand that uh, yeah you must be in such severe pain yourself that you are causing so much pain to others <laughs> yeah I don't, to be honest I don't know uh, I religion and religious extremism mm. is something that that people that if you have it and if you've grown up with it mm. and if you totally believe it Mm. it's so ingrained in in your beliefs mm. uh, there's there's very little in the way of arguing with that mm. yes yeah. it's not a logical it's not necessarily a logical thing it's an identity thing mm. it's a belief thing um, and in the case of these police it's a power thing but um yeah, I, I mean, a lot of a lot of social religious laws yeah. are all there to somehow or other yeah. um, manage sexuality. Yeah, you know whether it's how many women you can marry or not. Uh, I mean, you know, when you look at if you look at it the other way, there was a woman who was saying, uh, okay, uh, this is now with this revolution. Mm. She said, okay, so what is it exactly that you're asking for? Are you, other than singing in the streets and walking around naked, what exactly are your plans? Mm. So the other side, uh, so if you look at it from the other point of view, mm. um, modesty is very important. And the way we go around here, you know, like women... Which, if you look at it, you know you can you can see mm. women going around the streets here, mm. where you wonder to yourself as well. You think, mm. who who are you dressed up for? Why are you really showing? Mm. You know, there's like you're that's walking the street. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. Um, yeah. But it but that's allowed here. And if you if and if you're coming at it from a from a modest religious mm. point of view, and you see this, you're like, what? Mm. <laughs> you know we're that, that, that's that's totally uh you're you're asking for trouble so it's like one way or the other wow it's it's still what i feel is that it's more of a choice whether i want to be under modest over modest and that's that most probably is the main demand of this whole protest true yeah um because this um, woman not being in, yeah, you know, work-wise, if you can't go, like, have these, um, I would say, uh, job positions, it's not about also the job. If I, if a woman has aspirations, there is no, not even a scope to explore those aspirations. Or even more fundamental, if I go one level deeper, women will always be financially dependent on the men, which makes them always be controlled. And it, it's no more, um, it's no more, 
you know, a moral thing. It's a very direct uh, way of controlling. And the reason, the, I was reminded again, the reason why I love Rumi, why I love the Persian poet Rumi, is he always talks about, he, he's all about Sufism, which I'm super inspired by, and it is part of the Islamic mysticism. Uh, mysticism. Yeah. I'm super inspired by Sufism. And what he repeatedly says is that it's all about self-inquiry and finding you know, yourself and uh, knowing about yourself. And there is, there is no control outside. So if I see the essence, the beauty of what he writes, it's so much of transcendental self-discovery related. And coming from that place, I see another totally opposite perspective of the modern times that, hey, I want to control. I want you, I want numbers, I want to uh, literally fuck around women, but the woman should not do anything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and that everything you're labeling with the religion thing, which is kind of not making any logical sense to me, because if I go deep into Sufism back, it doesn't talk about all these things. Right, right. Well, um, this, this concept of the woman being... Um, a man's property and a man's chattel mm. um, actually started with the, with the question, in fact, the whole concept of marriage started with the concept with money. Mm. It was the, the, I mean, the oldest marriage, um, the oldest marriage uh, certificate that, mm. that, they have found was actually found in in Babylon mm. and it was the marriage of a very rich man mm. to a woman mm. and what he wanted to arrange was that his money would go to his children mm. and in order to be sure that they were his children it, be, it began to become a thing that that woman mm. would, should not be trusted mm. to to go out that mm. would, would should not be allowed to be controlled as you say mm. in order not to be able mm. to bear children that may not be the man's children so that my property can go to my children and not to somebody else right oh, that yeah. makes sense and then the fact that he as a man was mm. then uh was then allowed uh, both in Judaism and in Islam, by the way, I didn't realize it was also that way in Judaism till mm. lately, uh, allowed multiple wives. Mm. The only uh, thing, the only uh, stipulation is that you should be able to provide for all of them mm. equally. Mm. Um, so it you so you as a man mm. have the money and 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 your money provides for women and children mm. from those women and they become all your responsibility mm. and they become all your property mm -hmm. and nobody should come in from the outside <laughs> so, okay, so i so. think so so it, it was more of a money driven thing that then may Power, said conquering money yeah you know, the root of corruption and and labeling it with, you know, these terms like God and religion. And uh, it's so unfair. 
and uh, I think uh, so much needed this revolution and it can be a role model to the rest of the world. Now that's an inter interesting point because when the Islamic revolution came, mm -hmm. uh, uh, they also mm -hmm. exported it. I mean, they made very, um, very conscious effort to export fundamental list Islam mm. to the regions around, mm -hmm. uh, to Hezbollah, to uh, ISIS, mm. to, uh, in, in Afghanistan. Um, so they, they made it a priority and they put their money where their priorities were to export and, and expand the, the realm of this, um, you know, sort of fundamentalist mm. Islam. And in some ways, the countries in the region are, um, you know, the leaders of the countries in the region in some ways are kind of thinking, oh, phew, if they go, there won't be so much meddling. Mm. On the other hand, those whose uh, social um, culture is mm. still also, take Saudi Arabia, for example, where women also don't have a lot of, Right, right. Yeah. They, they're also kind of looking to see, okay, Iran exported one form of revolution mm. in 79. Maybe this is going to trigger other, other things that we're not waiting for. Right, because it's um, also, so what I understand from the whole pattern is that it was first Islamic, then it westernized, it became again Islamic, and now what? Now there is a chance of westernizing if the revolution and the campaign and the whole protest is successful um, and democracy will prevail, which is... Um, Actually, yeah. I don't know about democracy. Yeah. I don't no. know that democracy will prevail. <laughs> no. Yep, no, no. Because, no, not democracy. You know, democracy has always been, as, as we said, a little bit of a... Um, Yes, there have been elections, but they haven't really been true elections. And and I don't think that area... The, the dictatorship no. is still there. The corruption is still there. Mm. The, the the difference is kind of how how do you deal with the social aspect of, of mm. things. And we don't know who's going to take over. Uh, you don't think the, so women will come to power? Yeah, the, the, certainly. I mean... <laughs> yeah, uh, who knows? But yeah. there, there is one figurehead um, uh, called Masi uh, Ali Najad, who used to be in Iran, is now living abroad, and she's a woman who's been fighting for the freedom yeah. of women for many, many years. And she's in exile under FBI protect, protection. I, yes. I, I, I read, I saw videos about her and she's right. powerful now. Yeah, yeah. yeah she brings a lot of energy. So we, you know, maybe that is a figure because people are, mm. I think foreign governments are looking for who is a leader we can hang on to because we don't know. We, I mean, we, we see now that you guys are, are not happy, but yeah, we don't know who to what yeah. you want What's to alternate yeah. and also what i also understand from the whole movement is that it's not about uh, again western countries interfering 
uh, it's not about a revolution against Islam. It's more of uh, about freedom, uh, freedom of choice, like whether I should wear hijab or not, whether I should uh, follow Islam or not, be more secular, be more accepted, have more financial freedom. And um, that's something I feel has nothing to do with Western, um, Islamic, religious, whatever. Like we all are humans and we deserve to be treated with respect and treat others with respect. So, um, yeah, it feels to me a very fundamental <laughs> uh, revolution and that's why I feel so connected and so uh, called upon to even try to understand what are the requirements. It's so basic. Why are we even talking about it? What's what's going on in these people's minds? I don't understand. Yeah. This is so basic. <laughs> basic to, to you and me and maybe basic to what we think should be happening if you're living in modern-day Western countries. Mm. Um, which it wasn't always like that in the West either. I mean, no. you know, the whole concept of human rights and, and mm. equality and feminism and all of that is not that old. Old. No. So it's just that it, um, some of it goes to, I mean, now with the internet and yeah. everybody everywhere is connected. Mm. which is also why, uh, you know... The flaws are being amplified. <laughs> yeah, and or again... Or at least seen, yeah. Right. And, and you know, this is, this is where we, we came in. Where does the... Uh, to, where do you go to... How, how far um, your... When you're ready to fight mm. has a, a direct connection with mm. your expectation of what you should have mm. and the more you're connected with with knowing what's happening in the world mm. uh, the more you can compare your own situation with that of yeah. it's gonna help else. just not Iran just not I would say Islamic countries just not women it's gonna make everybody aware that okay I should be conscious about all my choices because I'm free to make any choice but that doesn't mean that I should be able to control others or I, I would be, uh, you know, violent or making others unsafe or taking uh, advantage of my power. So it's also very good, uh, I would say, uh, lesson for all the upcoming leaders that be careful about your power. That's, absolutely. Yeah. 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 yeah absolutely. Yeah. And that is... Again, it's a message that uh, I think the world needs to hear. Um, maybe I'll ask more concluding questions about your your personal take, your personal take uh, on Islam, because you are now living in, you lived in uh, England, in the U.S., in Israel, and so many other countries, and you are uh, this. Um, intercultural specialist expert and uh, and I know that you're also releasing a book 
on this topic. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's your personal take on Islam? On Islam, that's a uh, well, that's a big question, but I I think I'll um, I do believe that mm. all religions mm. have a lot of goodness in them. Mm. Uh, and if it wasn't for the goodness that's in them, they wouldn't have survived mm. so long. Mm. Uh, ultimately, people are looking for hope and they're looking for ways in which they could be better people. Mm. And that's what connects people, mm. both culturally mm. uh, and uh, kind of religiously, together. Mm. Whether then any any religion, I think. Mm. Um, it's just a matter of how 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 do you take those very basic um, tenets of being yeah. being good, yeah. and and what what in what way do you, as a particular group within that, mm. uh, associates with any particular um, religion, yeah. how do you choose to um, to define that for yeah. socially? if you yeah. like. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think the difference between Islam and the other larger um, religions is that Islam, um, I believe, and I'm not an ex- Islam expert, but I believe that Islam is both a social and a political religion. So these mm-hmm. two kind of go in ha- hand in hand. Mm-hmm. So secularism doesn't really sit mm. comfortably. Mm. Okay. Yeah, but I also agree that at the end it's all about asking that fundamental question and to seek your own truth. And that's what there might be some guiding principles, which I do believe um, every religion, including Islam, has a very, you know, beautiful way to guide. And hence, it's not about hating this or hating that. It's about are we taking advantage of uh, these uh, rules unnecessarily for my personal gain? Yeah. yeah, yeah. That that's I think a very fundamental. Um, and also, the last question is: now we are moving into a more multicultural society where you know we have you know different cultures in one particular um, area who are more supporting and understanding it's very uh, healthy and sustainable also to have this diversity and which might be slowly our strong um, identity with a particular religion or region or language is loosening up. How do you think will be the future for such a multicultural um, society where, you know, these um, revolutions uh, for women, religion, power, sustainability, so many topics are coming in. What, what do you foresee as an expert on multicultural topics uh, for this? <laughs> Again, that's a, it's a very big question. And sort of history shows that, it, that, that the pendulum swings on, yeah. on whether you become a melting pot or whether you become 
different identity, different cultural groups within uh, within uh, a certain country. Mm. You look at America, for example, it started out as being, oh, we're all a melting pot. Mm. But then in the 60s, uh, that model was moved on to diversity mm. and inclusion. And, and it was it became more about celebrating the diversity of different groups within it. Mm-hmm. And also then then saying, okay, you know, this is not all about the the white mm. middle class man, you know, mm. other other um, um, other races, other ethnic groups uh, mm. also have a right to be who they are and they have a right to to participate in in society. Um, what we saw, for example, with Black Lives Matter just mm. two years ago, is that this there was a very strong uh, movement that that really uh, that that took off all over the world mm. about looking at the, in this case particularly the 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 black communities and. And stopping and saying, you know, hey, we need to be really careful. We need to look back at what we what we did as mm. colonialists. There was the the white privilege, the guilt, mm. but to make sure that that we're beyond that now. That mm. that different groups of people are uh, respected, uh, allowed to live a, a dignified life, and can be integrated into societies. Um, that's very much more America because it was it was set up as this melting pot in mm-hmm. theory, and Indians and blacks had a different mm. experience in it. Um, but Europe, but Europe grew in a different way. Mm. Europeans didn't really expect themselves to become multicultural countries. Mm. They were mm. just taking people in, and and still to this day expecting. Uh, them to 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 Indeed. integrate mm. right into whatever Dutch society, Italian society, mm. and French society, English society, but there came a point where I think the the indigenous population woke up and thought, "Hang on a minute, mm. uh, that's not the way it is anymore." Mm. I, I I we now have so many people from other backgrounds. Mm. Um, who am I in all this? Mm. Um, like now in England, for example, uh, 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 an Indian mm. prime minister has been sele- has been elected, mm. and you heard, for example, a white man on a talk show mm. saying, "You know, I'm the majority of the people in this country. This is England, and the majority mm. of people in this country are English. White people like me." Mm. And we want to see ourselves mm. Uh, mm. Uh, reflected in yeah. the identity of our leaders. Mm. Um, and to some extent, you think, uh, yeah, but you, you've gone beyond that. Yeah, you've gone beyond that. But that 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 feeling that many Europeans still have, and that's what's kind of also bringing a lot of a lot more right wing politics in. Mm is that we woke up one morning, we, as in mm. the white European, mm. uh, woke up one morning uh, 
and realize that the world around them has changed so much mm. that their country is saying that, that their own identity is being mm. questioned. Mm. Um, or they don't hold the same power anymore. They don't hold the same power anymore. Mm. And of course, the whole concept, the whole, um, uh, again, as you say, the, the, the religious thing has has amplified that you know mm. the terrorist attacks have amplified that the the fact that ex that people from ex-colonial countries are now kind of mm. opening up to the to the problems that they face to the bl to blaming to demanding uh uh demanding that 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 governments uh, uh yeah pardon you know give them say sorry and and all of that is is actually it's not as easy as it no it's, it's not as easy complex. as to say yeah exactly it's because not just... uh, yeah i feel that also because in this case uh religion or you know for that matter islam or any religion big one just can be a target uh for the west to um you know keep on having this friction because I see in Europe also there has been a huge uh, movement against Christianity. Most people have this like thing against religion even, mm -hmm. which also goes to another extreme, mm -hmm. that any people who are into any re religion, they are um, backward, mm -hmm. which is a very complex, you know, again, a strata feeling that mm -hmm. like I am more superior because I just believe in science and intellectual. Anybody who practices any kind of belief is back. Um, and that kind of mindset is also creating, I feel, a kind of um, uh, another reason for uh, differentiation in the world as well. And that's why I feel that maybe, um, yeah, every time we face this kind of a, a revolution, it is um, directed towards the religion, whereas it's not about the religion. It is, again, about human rights. It's about uh, talk, like sh sharing or treating other human beings as equal, irrespective of their gender, irrespective of their color, irrespective of their uh, social and economic backgrounds. But we pull in religion, we pull in color, we pull in all these things just to have this facade <laughs> to create this um, anger between West, non-West, all these things. I don't know. That's what I feel. Yeah, it would be very nice if ultimately uh, people were seen as people. Yeah. Um, But whether that is, um, and and obviously the more you, you know, the more you know people of different backgrounds, the more you know people of different cultures, the more you know, the more once you you know once we talk to each other as different people of different cultures, different religions, mm. different yeah, you, know, you can you can relate to people as people. Yeah. However, human beings are programmed. Mm to seek safety mm. in 
numbers and tribal numbers mm. and somehow or other you're going to find your own tribe mm. now your tribe is going you know whether it's religious or 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 intellectual or country or you know human beings are tribal i mean animals are tribal mm. and uh yeah. and somehow or other we're going to find our own tribes and the 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 hope is that the more people mingle mm. that yes you will have um a bias mm. is 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 a very natural thing it's mm. what keeps people safe you know oh that's a lion i've got to run away mm. so we all are biased and we all try and break the world down into some form of something we can understand this is mm. these are chairs these mm -hmm. are tables mm. but this is a chair i can sit on and this is a table i can eat on mm. is the second thought Mm. And that's um, hopefully that also happens when we see. I mean, we we will be biased when we see somebody looking somewhere or or, be, or acting Indeed. somewhere. Yeah. Uh, but the question is, do we have a second thought? Mm. Do we judge our own judgment? Yeah. Do we allow ourselves to get to know the person beyond yeah. the, the beyond bias? that? And uh, yeah, and I feel that uh, that's why hopefully this revolution gives us a chance to think about uh, so many biases that we have and so much that we can progress as humanities and shed off this. Um, yes, we are tribal, but also we are part of a much bigger tribe, right? The From human Earth, tribe. Human tribe, the Earth tribe, the universe tribe, and um, to enjoy that diversity and uh, every human being has the choice to be who they are and uh, and so i wish uh, all iranians and everybody around the world totally support uh, the woman life and freedom campaign <laughs> thank you very much so do i <laughs> yeah thank you so much uh claire i had a uh, super fun learning about the revolutions uh, I, we spoke about two revolutions and so much in between and uh to hear it directly from you you have so much of knowledge about so many cultures and especially growing up there uh i feel comforted <laughs> uh, well thank you very much for uh the opportunity to share yeah. And I hope that, uh, I also hope that all of this revolution and bloodshed and so on brings to something, to a new, inspired, better uh, government and a better life for the people with more human yeah. dignity. Yeah.